Welcome to The Creative Shift. My name is Dan Blank, author of the book Be the Gateway and founder of WeGrowMedia.com. Today, I want to talk about why I moved my newsletter of 18 years over to Substack. So we'll talk a bit about that backstory, why I think newsletters are important for writers and creators, and why I think Substack is so interesting. Okay, so let me take you back in time to 2005. I was working in a gray cubicle at a magazine publisher and media company on Park Avenue South in New York City. At the time, I worked in the corporate communications department, and every Tuesday, we as a department had an internal newsletter that we sent out. So we worked really hard on this. There's a whole process around it, and it was wonderful to work on. During this time, I'd become fascinated with social media, blogging, and how the internet in general was truly changing in publishing. And this was bold new times for publishing. And at the time, I primarily worked with writers. Um, We had a company full of editors and journalists and writers, all of that. So that work I did then extends to the work that I do today, which is helping writers and creators share their work in a meaningful way. As I got interested in this work in 2005, I asked my boss, could, could I write my own little newsletter, you know, send it out every Friday just to anyone who wants it, just talking about these new digital publishing, social media blogging kind of topics. She agreed, and I was a little bit surprised about that. Um, because, not because she wasn't always supportive, she was, but because I don't take that for granted. The newsletter that we worked on as a corporate entity was, you know, we're unbelievably careful with. The processes around it um, were highly evolved. So it was really wonderful that she supported me in that. And I always sort of remembered that. She and I still keep in touch. And it's worth making this point in a big way, is that back then I needed permission to start a newsletter. That is a very very different thing than the way any of us can approach the idea of sharing our own voice today, whether it is a newsletter, a social media channel, a blog, an online magazine, a video series, anything. Now you don't need permission. Back then, I absolutely did. So as I crafted the first issue, I walked around to the desks of nine people that I knew inside the company. And I asked them, hey, I'm doing this newsletter, you know, could I send you the first issue? You can unsubscribe or not agree to any others beyond that. Each of them agreed, um, giving me the support that I was very desperately looking for. It's funny because nowadays I think it's very common for people to fret over this idea of how do I grow my email list and how do I encourage new people to subscribe? But all of the ways that we have at our disposal today are so much easier than having to physically walk up to someone, interrupt their day, make a pitch for your newsletter, wait for them to say yes, no, or maybe, or have follow-up questions, and then run back and actually add them. So I always keep that in mind. After I sent out that first issue to those nine people, one of my colleagues who received it suggested I send it to the CEO. And my colleague and friend was a lawyer within the company, and he was really smart. So my initial reaction to him was, no way. Because the idea of pitching an idea to the CEO 
at the time certainly seemed more filled with potential loss than potential gain. My goal with this newsletter was to fly under the radar. I just loved these ideas. I wanted to have a little outlet to write about it. I didn't want to get, you know, <laughs> canceled in any way. I just wanted to be this nice, cute little thing that I organically grew from person to person. But without batting an eye, he just gave me an ultimatum. He said, well, if you don't send it to the CEO, I will. <sighs> so I'm like, fine. Um, so again, I asked permission. I asked my boss if I could send, you know, tell the CEO about my newsletter. And she agreed. What happened next was what I consider to be one of the most harrowing few minutes of my career up to that point, and, and maybe since, I'm not really sure. So I kind of nervously forwarded the newsletter to the CEO, blaming the lawyer who suggested it. Jeremy felt that you would be interested, dot, dot, dot. So my cubicle was positioned around the executive area, and to the right was the CEO's office, to the left was my boss's office with a couple offices in between. So a couple minutes after I forwarded the email to the CEO, I heard the CEO's door open. He walked briskly past my desk, right into my boss's office, closing the door. A few minutes passed, he left, and then, you know, maybe 10, 20, 30 seconds later, my phone rings, and it's my boss. Very flat voice, you know, Dan, can you come into my office? I am not joking. I 100% was convinced that I was about to be fired. That was that. I just was totally certain that this was me sort of going too far. I had raised my head out of that cubicle a little too far with messages that were a little too uncomfortable. And that in corporate culture, that is not always welcome because it is a difficult thing to not just run a company, to run a company that's in a, a massive transition that we're going through with digital publishing. It's a delicate thing to create a strategy, to motivate people, to keep everyone aligned. I was not unaware of that. Um, and at the time, there was this word innovate, you know, innovation was everything. But I was also really aware that you have to innovate, but not innovate too much because you can't offend people who are in power trying to motivate other people and keep, you know, the quote unquote older business model in place and working while they're figuring out newer business models that are not yet certain. So uh, I sat down in my boss's office and I was totally shocked with what she said. She said, the CEO loves your newsletter and thinks everyone in the company should subscribe. He's going to forward it to the entire staff, encouraging them to do so. That was a big moment for me, and one that I don't take for granted. I know, I know that many or most people never get a moment of this kind of support in their career, not from their colleagues, not from their boss, certainly not from the head of a company. So then and now, I know how fortunate I was to be in that situation. I remember talking to my dad about this, where he was always so supportive of my work. But, you know, he had a lot of corporate experience, and he told me, you know, it's, you know, remember how lucky I am to be in that situation, because I could be in a different company with different culture, different boss, taking the exact same actions that I am, but instead of being rewarded for it, I could be dismissed for it. And it was such a great thing to consider, which is it's not just that everything I'm doing is great and will work. 
And again, this was not him being unsupportive. To me, it was aligning to advice that he always, I mean, this I think was probably his most repeated phrase to me in my whole life beyond I love you, um, which is be aware of your surroundings. And that's advice he would give if I was going to you know, go out at night when I was in my teens or 20s. But I think too, it applies here. This idea of be aware of your surroundings, because that can protect you from harm, but it can also allow you to find growth and be aware of why growth is happening. So from that CEO's email forwarding, you know, my newsletter to the company, I instantly gained around, I think around 700 subscribers, which was a huge leap from nine subscribers. It also had me to confront this idea of now I'm emailing people that I might not know. I might not know that they're a welcoming party. But every Friday for the next bunch of years in that company, I sent out that newsletter and that definitely raised my profile in the company. There are a lot of people who tell me they look forward to the newsletter. And I wasn't unaware at the time, though, that um, there are plenty of people that disliked me for it. Because a couple reasons. One, my newsletter dealt with very delicate topics. The internet was changing core business models. And there are plenty of employees who were not happy about that, that did not want those fans to be flamed. And they didn't really like that I was kind of upbeat about this and excited about this. I also think that some people didn't really like that I had this kind of independence in a way where I was writing about and publishing whatever I wanted. It didn't go through any, didn't go through my boss, didn't go through any editorial. Um, And that too is, I think, unusual in a corporate setting. Um, and especially, again, because they are working within different groups in the company of different vice presidents, different editors, all of that. But, of course, there were benefits. Um, later on, I was recruited into a new role within a new division at the company that put me in charge of developing and managing the blogging strategy, which would eventually include hundreds of bloggers, including, you know, training, you know, I think, hundreds of our staff with that, recruiting external bloggers, all of that. And that was really fun. I later did the same thing with the social media strategy across dozens of brands that we had. Later on, we knew, we became aware that our company was going to be divested by our parent company. This was not a secret. They informed us of this. But that sale process, the divestiture process, which is a word I became very familiar with, um, took years. So I knew that my role would eventually be eliminated with the company because the company itself was going away. So very slowly, I planned on how to bring my newsletter outside the company. I was ridiculously careful about this because I wanted to always, first and foremost, respect my company, my role in that company, my boss, every single person there. So I really took my time with this. Um, I never wanted to kind of step outside the lines with it. But over time, I created a blog, a public-facing blog. Over time, I moved the newsletter to a external you know, newsletter platform that I managed, that I owned. And of course, after a while, I was no longer in the company, and that's when that newsletter was public. At first, I used a company called Aweber as the hosting platform. And later on, a few years later, maybe five years later, I moved over to another company called ConvertKit. And what, at the time, what drew me from both of those were fine platforms. I think they both still exist. I think they both have great offerings. I was very happy with both of them. Why I moved to ConvertKit at the time was they seemed to offer, at the time anyway, 
a lot more tools around segmenting an email list and tagging or creating automations. So if you run a company or even if you're just a creator, there's a lot of value in that of thinking, oh, if someone wants to learn more about how I do my craft, I can they can sign up and they'll get the series of seven emails and I'll tag them onto the special list of people interested in topic Y <clears throat> and then other people will be interested in topic B. There's a lot of leeway around the business side of how email can be used. So from that time in 2005 until now, I've sent out that weekly email newsletter every single week. It has become a core part of my life, living with that weekly deadline. And it has given me very strong encouragement to write and publish. And honestly, I can't really imagine a week without it. It gives me so much joy. It also puts me firmly in the creative process every week, which I love. So the newsletter has grown slowly over the years. And then came Substack. I've been working with writers with Substack for a long time now. I've moved many writers over to Substack. I have been in the back end of their tools, you know, in every little corner of it, it feels like, for a very long time. And that has allowed me to see what they're doing that is interesting, interesting to me anyway. And none of this is sponsored by Substack or anything like that. This is just me sharing why I'm finding it interesting, interesting enough to move my newsletter there. So the first thing is I'm noticing a sense of community among writers and readers in Substack. They do a lot to talk about writers, writing, writing. They're not positioning the company as something celebrating business, but celebrating writing. And I think that's interesting, the idea of a community of writing. The next is they are tackling a problem that I think a lot of other newsletter subscription services have not tackled in as direct a manner, which is how do I get more subscribers? So when I look at the tools that they have created and are still creating, so much is about how do you get word of mouth marketing going around a newsletter? to make more people aware of it and get more subscribers. They have a lot of interesting tools with that. Um, this feels like a celebration of writing, as I said, which I really love. And another big thing is they are promoting this idea that writers can and should get paid for your writing. This has been a challenge for writers maybe forever, certainly the last several decades, not just what are the ways to get paid with writing, but even the more social, the more internal challenge that writers have of, should I get paid? How can I get paid? Can I, be, can I ask to get paid? Can't someone else, can I just send my writing to a entity to like a magazine? And then over there, not the editor I'm working with, someone else in a different department that I will never talk to, can't they ask people to pay for the writing? This culture of distancing yourself from this idea of, I have a craft, an art, I have writing, and I'm getting paid for that. Instead, Substack has 100% embraced this idea of, you can get paid for writing, you should get paid for writing, and you should own that. The Not even just the technical change of how they do that, that's interesting in and of self. What I'm most interested in here is the social change where I see writers who, without Substack, it would have felt like pulling teeth to get them to ask someone to pay for their writing. 
they are now actively have free newsletters and paid newsletters. And in their regular newsletters, they will say, oh, and if you want to support this work, you can pay me. And they feel not only okay with it, they feel great about that. I have loved, truly loved seeing this change happen. And I'm not saying that everyone needs to get paid for this or should have a paid newsletter. I just love that it's happening in a communal fashion. It's happening more and more. You get to choose. I debated whether my newsletter should have a paid option. At launch, I said, you know, I'm just right now, it's a big transition for me. I'm not going to offer a paid offering. So even I'm opting out of that for good reasons. But I think that's fascinating that Substack has had such success in not just doing that, but changing the culture around that concept for creatives. Um, then what's interesting is that this too aligns to Substack's own business model. With ConvertKit, you know, I pay by how many subscribers I have. I think maybe MailChimp bought work that way too. I forget. Uh, or I think MailChimp does work that way. I think Aweber might have worked that way. Substack is free to use, and where they earn money is getting a fee from your paid subscriptions. I don't really know if that is inherently good or inherently bad, but I think it's neat that their whole motivation is to encourage writers to get paid because that's how they get paid. So again, I don't know if it's good or bad, but I think it's interesting. I also see Substack building out their ecosystem very quickly, rolling out new idea after new idea very quickly of encouraging more celebration of writing, word of mouth around newsletters, and even um, a social network. Not all of this feels done yet. So they released their own social network called Notes, and I you know, joined it right away. It did not or does not feel done. It feels like there's stuff missing from it, but... It's really interesting. And I'm playing with it and I'm like, huh, this feels neat. It feels neat that it's attached to a newsletter, attached to a network celebrating writing, attached to a way that writers can get paid. It feels like there's something there. And I love the quickness of their innovation around this. And lastly, I'll say Substack has been a trend. I don't hear people saying, oh my gosh, I launched a newsletter. They say, I launched a Substack. Again, I don't know if that's good or bad because trends come and go, but it feels like you're a part of something. And I see people join Substack and I say, oh, welcome. And they're like, oh, you're here too. It's like being a part of the same party. Is that a reason to move over? I don't know, but it's on my list. <laughs> so again, what's been great for me is that because I've worked with writers in the Substack ecosystem for so long, I get to see all the numbers, all the data. So I have seen how their newsletter lists have grown. I've seen how their revenue has grown. I've seen, you know, I've worked with them on experiments around doing different kinds of newsletters, different kinds of um, business models around what you get paid for. And it's been fascinating. It's another big reason I've wanted to do this. But I hesitated. I hesitated for a long time moving to Substack for a couple very small reasons, but enough to get me to pause. The one was the lack of absolute total control over the newsletter template. And this is a tiny point, but again, enough for me to pause. I like when newsletters look like regular emails. And one part of that is having it be flush left, like a real email would look. Substack is a wonderfully minimalist design, but 
it's they kind of center your email in the middle and it looks a bit like a blog to me the way the headline is in the email that i don't really want it there the way it does the little byline and you can remove the byline but that alone was enough of a change for me to be like oh like what if they change it in a way i don't like now they don't give me a lot of choice with that i like the reason they're doing this which is when you're authoring they've taken away all these decisions around the template, around a lot of things. When you sign up for a Substack account, and I've moved a lot of people over here, I find it to be really straightforward. But that lack of total control bugged me. The other thing is that my newsletter for years always came from my email address, dan at wegrowmedia.com. And that felt good because people are getting to know wait, how to contact me. I do have a business attached to all this. With Substack, it would not come from that email address. It would come from danblank at substack.com. Honestly, I don't know if this is a pro or a con, but it was enough of a change to get me to pause. So, as you can see, the pros eventually outweighed the cons, and the way I thought about this was what would keep me up at night, what would make me feel more guilty. The idea of these little tiny petty things stopping me, and therefore I didn't take the risk. Thank goodness I didn't take the risk. But really what ended up winning out was there's so many interesting things happening with Substack. I will genuinely feel bad. I will feel guilty if I don't dive in with both feet and play in this ecosystem. So far, there have been really very few negative surprises other than a few things I knew about. And I'm still trying to navigate, which is... I subscribe to a lot of newsletters, um, but now with notes and the social social media standpoint with it, you can't just follow someone without also subscribing to their newsletter. And again, I don't know if this is bad or not, but what it means is if that every time I choose to follow someone or subscribe to them, it means I'm adding more to my inbox, even if maybe I just want to follow them on notes. I think this will evolve and probably evolve relatively soon. But that's been something I'm having to navigate. How do I really support other people here, but also not clog up my business email address? So that's something I'm working through. Um, Along the way, I had to give my newsletter a title. When I first launched the email years ago, I had a title, but I eventually stripped it away. So I didn't know what to call it, and eventually I decided, well, there have been two titles I've been using a lot for different things. One is The Creative Shift, which is what I use for this podcast. The other is Share Like It Matters, which is a name I've been using for a program and other things. And I've had good feedback to both of them. So I put a poll out to people asking them, and The Creative Shift won out, not by a lot. And what's great is people gave me really good feedback why one was better than the other. But in the end, it did win out. So I said, you know what? Let me just keep it with Creative Shift. I like it. Then I had to think about creating a logo. And this was fun for me because I really thought a lot about what kind of design really inspires me. And I thought about the kitchen I grew up with in the 1970s, which of course was an avocado-colored kitchen, which was the norm back then. So we had an avocado-colored oven, an avocado-colored sink, an avocado-colored dishwasher, an avocado-colored refrigerator. Our carpet was avocado and gold. And I was thinking of this and remembering how utterly beautiful it all was. I know most normal, rational people will think of these color combinations and think that they are just the worst, and I understand that, but I love them. 
And for a few weeks now, I've been playing around with AI art generators, creating these images of wood paneled 1970s living rooms with the avocado and gold and orange colors. And I wanted to infuse this in the logo for my new Substack newsletter. And I did that. It's not a very complicated logo, but I, I kind of evoke that with the theme of the creative shifts. And funny, funnily enough, avocado actually never made it in there, but the other colors did this sort of turquoisey blue, the orange, which I love, and this kind of golden yellow on a black background. And that made the process feel fun to kind of reinvent this new logo and to kind of think about all of that. So... If you are curious to see my newsletter, or if you want to get it at all, you can find it um, either at my normal website, wegrowmedia.com. It is right there, front and center. Or if you go to danblank.substack.com, you can see my writing and, and subscribe to it there. I My archives still exist on my website. Of course, my website and that archive is unbelievably important to me that does not move over in any way. And I will still maintain that on my website. I definitely believe in that. If you have any feedback or questions, you can email me, um, dan at wegrowmedia.com. You can find me at wegrowmedia.com or on social media at Dan Blank. Thank you so much for listening until the end.